Good morning. The reading today is from Philippians chapter 1, um, starting at verse 12 through to verse 30. So Philippians 1 verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honoured in my body whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have." Good morning. Uh, my throat is stuffed this morning after enjoying a good time with Rach and Nash, even though she's more loved than me. Um, I still had a great time. Uh, <laughs> I'm not looking for comments, it's all right. <laughs> uh, if you're new to church, my name's Mike, lead pastor here. And uh, Philippians, what a great book. And uh, you know, through whatever's happening in your life, I, my prayer is that God will speak to you this morning. Imagine this. Paul slumped against the wall, disappointed and disoriented. He felt like God had shown him so much 
So many great things had happened until now, as though God's hand had really been upon him. He really believed that his life was headed somewhere entirely better than what his hopelessness suggested now. How could God have done this? Why would he hold out such blessings, raise him up for such greatness? Hundreds, thousands of people had come to know Jesus through his missionary journeys. New ministries had begun, new churches planted. He had invested so much in his ministry. And now he's watching others crowd into the space that he can't fill anymore. And they're screwing it all up, all that he'd labored for. It seems like God was done with him right now. And so he slumped against the wall, spent. How is that not Philippians 1? <laughs> That's not the Paul we read. How about this kind of Paul? This is a different Paul altogether again. And uh, we'll see how this goes with my voice. But uh, here we go, here we go. This is a different kind of Paul. Don't worry. Fantastic. What kind of wisdom does the Bobby McFerrin kind of Paul have for us? Have you looked at the lyrics of that song? It's ridiculous. Thank you. Um, they're ridiculous. Uh, how about this line? If every life, in every life, we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. So don't worry. <laughs> like, you're stuffed. Don't be more stuffed. Just, you know. Or this one, this one. This one's my favorite. Because when you worry, your face will frown, and then you'll bring everyone down. So don't worry, be happy. Did you know that's the, that's the lyrics? That's the wisdom that Bobby McFerrin is holding out to us as he kind of wants us to, uh, to, to not worry and be happy. Neither of these are the Paul that we have in the, in, in, in the, in the Bible here. And I'm so grateful to God that, that the real Paul, St. Paul, uh, touched by the Lord Jesus, filled with his spirit, holds out a different kind of way to sit in the, the frustrations and the suffering of this world, to neither be detached by them, uh, nor be so disappointed that it sows a bitterness in one's heart. And as we continue on from last week, we go a level deeper to unpack what it means to find true joy. And that's where we're headed today. So I'm going to uh, encourage you to keep Philippians 1 open. As, uh, as we look at uh, this remarkable, oh, I just turned the lights off on myself, as this remarkable passage of scripture, because as we look at how Paul responds to this, he writes this, because of all of this, I rejoice. Because of all of this, because of all of what? Because of his chains, because other preachers are moving in with selfish ambitions, because of struggle and suffering. Yes, because of all of that, Paul has found a way to rejoice. The Christian faith is not an abstraction from this world. It doesn't sort of try to, uh, you know, attain some kind of spiritual zen that's detached from the reality of the world, nor is it kind of white suits and prosperity. It's gritty. It looks at all that this world can throw at us. It looks at all that our hearts can throw out in, in us, a disorderedness, a sinfulness. It stares sin and death in the face and finds a God who has entered into it all and triumphed over all. And while we so often see mess in this life, 
I often see this beautiful kind of uh, this metaphor of like, you know, when you look at the back of a, of a, of a tapestry, my grandfather uh, used to do lots of tapestry. And, uh, you know, on his side, he would see kind of a great work of art. But on the other side was a complete mess. We see that complete mess. But we are trusting that God is weaving a glorious art, a glorious work in our life. And the only way that St. Paul or us can see that glory is to gaze at God's most glorious work, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, it's as we gaze upon his beauty that we find true joy. This morning, I want you to see everything anew as you live for Christ and as you long for home. I want you to see everything anew. That's Paul's central mantra from this, uh, this passage. I think, you know, in, in the most difficult circumstances, we actually see what's kind of what, what's, at the, what's at the ground level for Paul, what's at the root of all things. And, and there's these nine words that are so profound uh, in this passage uh, that we're going to try and unpack it under this kind of heading. But those nine words are to live is Christ and to die is well, gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And if you want to find true joy, come with me, Philippians 1, starting at verse 12. The first thing we ought to see is that the gospel cannot be chained. Paul is literally in chains. He's under Roman guard. Uh, Paul's first recorded arrest actually took place in Philippi. Had a, this, uh, this obviously, Philippi had a, uh, sort of was dear to his heart in many ways. Um, and uh, in, in, you might recall from Acts 16, there was that moment where uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, Paul had uh, just met with Timothy, had planted a church, uh, a house church in Lydia's house, um, and looked like great things were happening. Um, there was this, this, um, this slave girl um, who was able to, to tell the future, basically, and, and kept harassing Paul, uh, you know, because she was possessed, you know, the, the, the demons inside her actually knew who Paul was and, and kept shouting out kind of like, you know, all these great things about Paul. But in the end, he was getting a bit frustrated. And so he released her uh, from that possession. And, uh, and she came to see Jesus and, and, uh, and was released from that. And, but the problem was, is that the people who were making money off her in being able to tell the future uh, we were a bit disappointed that their livelihood was just thrown down the toilet because Jesus had liberated her. Oh. But, um, and out of that actually was a full riot and, and Paul was arrested and, uh, and thrown into prison. But what was remarkable in that story is that as Paul was thrown into prison, it, the midnight of that, of that first day of being in prison, there he is singing hymns to Jesus because of the joy he still has in him. He just cannot be sort of chained down, this guy, right? And uh, in the middle of the night, God really does deliver him. An earthquake comes through that prison. Uh, the, the gates open wide, the shackles are released. And just as the prison guards are about to fall on their sword, because there's no way kind of people can escape on their watch without them having serious consequences, Paul's kind of like, I'm still here. <laughs> don't, don't, don't fret, don't worry. But not kind of like just the, you know, Bobby McFerrin kind of don't worry. It's kind of like he's held out the gospel to these guys. He stayed in that prison cell so that he might minister even to his jailers. And they come to faith. And the jailers' whole households are baptized. It's an incredible story. So as Paul sits now in chains, imprisoned, he wants to not just sit in sort of some kind of self-pity. He wants to minister 
to those around him, even the Philippians who are worried about him. And in so, he also ministers to us so that we might be encouraged in every circumstance. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Here's the guy who travels the world holding out the gospel, planting churches, and there he is in chains saying, the gospel is still being advanced even as I sit here and I want you to be encouraged. As he writes what that looks like, verse 13, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Paul would be kind of an annoying, uh, you know, overly joyful, perhaps, uh, kind of prison, uh, prisoner. Uh, you know, can you imagine like the prisoner guards saying, uh, you know, how, Paul, how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. Do you know about Jesus? <laughs> but uh, everyone in the whole palace guard got to know why he was there and heard the gospel accordingly. Then he goes on, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. So as he talks about how Jesus is still at work in his life, the joy he still has, even though he's imprisoned, that's a source of great encouragement and confidence. So that instead of others being fearful of like, I don't want to end up like Paul, that people are being encouraged that no matter what happens in life, Jesus is at work. Some of you might subscribe to uh, prayer emails and, uh, and information from Open Doors. Uh, They're an international ministry serving the persecuted church. Uh, And when you read about what's happening in parts of the world where pastors and, uh, and Christians are persevering in faith under great difficulty, as we pray for them that God would work in them and through them and deliver them even, is it not also a work in our lives that we're encouraged by their perseverance? It is so easy in so many ways to be a Christian in this place. And so as we look to these people and pray with them as part of our family in the Lord Jesus, are they not a great encouragement to us? Do they not embolden us? And the same thing is happening to those that Paul writes to. In fact, I was on their website this week, uh, Open Doors, and uh, listening to and watching videos uh, from Turkish and Syrian pastors talking about what it's like for them to hold out the gospel, to serve uh, those in great need, to grieve with those who have lost loved ones. I cannot really appreciate the carnage that has happened in that place. It is such a world away. And yet, as we pray for them and support them, uh, are we not kind of bound up with them under the Lord Jesus? In a similar way, I, was, um, I heard a story from a pastor that I used to serve with uh, who went back to China, uh, had a kind of a, a partnership with uh, a bunch of house church uh, ministers in China. And he was in this underground uh, prayer meeting in China. Uh, it was an incredible kind of, uh, kind of moment, he describes. And uh, as all these people are praying, uh, really in secret, uh, that they were praying over kind of the persecution that was happening from the government, um, as many of them had lost jobs and were, you know, in some ways quite fearful of, of what would happen next. They were, they were concerned about what that would mean for the church uh, as, the, as the government continued to exercise control in that space. And someone got up and prayed uh, that God would stop the persecution. Uh, and the senior minister of that of that kind of, or the kind of one of the leaders in that kind of space, stood up and stopped the prayer meeting in that moment. <laughs> that would be a bit awkward. Um, and, uh, and said, that's not the prayer we're going to pray. 
because the Lord Jesus has worked most powerfully through us in our persecution. And so we're going to pray for his glory and let everything else kind of work out from there. I've paraphrased that, but wow. We so easily and so quickly pray that God would just make it easy for us. But as Paul sits in prison, he sits there joyfully seeking the Lord's work, the Lord's glory, and is in a great encouragement to everyone who hears about him. He is not delirious. He's not wielding some kind of don't worry, be happy. He is totally grounded in all that's happening, but also how God is using him in his circumstances. And undergirding that is Paul's faith that enables him to live for Jesus in all circumstances. And undergirding that is the Lord Jesus himself who lived and died and rose again for Paul and for us and is still at work in all circumstances. The gospel cannot be chained. The Lord reigns and he will work through every circumstance. Our worries, the purposes that we live for are heavy. They're also very heavy when things go astray for us. They crowd in on us, uh, like the kind of the parable of the seed or the sower. Uh, it kind of, it, 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 the weeds grow up in our life and they choke us and they stop us flourishing. What is stopping you from enjoying, enjoying the simplicity of living for Jesus and trusting that all things are part of his glory and plan? You might not be in prison because of your ministry. It could be something as boring as work stress or the weight of your mortgage or sickness. But they all form quickly a narrative, a story that we inhabit that stop us seeing the bigger story and how we are connected in. Perhaps you don't know how your mortgage stress might be related to living for Jesus, for example. And maybe just the start of your journey, the, the beginning of true joy begins with exactly that. I don't know how my circumstances, Jesus, can be used for your glory, but I want to believe they could be. And so I'm going to believe that you're going to work in me and through me. And I'm going to stop living my life worried about all the things that are holding me back from living for you. The gospel cannot be chained. I want you to see everything anew as you live for Christ and long for home. The second thing that you know, is really going on for Paul that could be cause for great concern, as I've already made reference to, is as he is in prison, along with Timothy and Epaphroditus, you know, there's three kind of powerhouses for the gospel, all kind of like, I don't know, twiddling their thumbs in prison, <laughs> while they're, the great workers are doing nothing, what it looks like, all these other amateurs, <laughs> wannabes, selfish and ambitious, uh, pot-stirring, as it were, uh, kind of leaders, fill the space where Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus was. Paul writes this in, uh, in verse 15. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. He's looking upon the space that he once inhabited, and he's like, yes, there are preachers now sort of coming in. Some of them 
Not great. Some of them are doing it because of the goodwill. These preach out of love, the latter, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. <laughs> How does Paul not shut these guys down? How does he not publicly berate these troublemakers, those with acting out of selfish ambition? They've got nothing to do with the gospel. I'll tell you what, if I was in that position... I would be pretty quick to shut them down. But I tell you what, if I shut them down, how much of that would be a rage that would be within me as I watched my kingdom crumble? But Paul does not shut them down. It's not his kingdom. He trusts that the Lord Jesus can work even through those with selfish ambitions. Altogether, he's playing a, a long, different kind of game. He says, what does it matter? This is not a such-as-life moment, a fatalism that just gives up to some blind, pitiless fate. No, no, he writes this, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. It is so Jesus' kingdom that he looks at these people that are not as, don't have the integrity he does, the character he does. And he says, let them preach the gospel. For some of us, having our legacy ruined is worse than death. But Paul does not fear that. Do you see the complete lack of fear despite all of these circumstances in Paul's life? in the outworkings of the way he thinks and prays for and encourages and ministers. He knows that the preached word is living and active and that even through these jars of clay, these people who are still immature in the faith, as it were, he has confidence that the good news will still be good and still be powerful to transform people. I love that even though Paul is a, is a great in the early church, he considers himself small before the Lord Jesus who can work through all things. Now, it is fair to say that if these people who are immature, uh, those wanting to cause Paul trouble, uh, those who, with selfish ambitions, if they were to preach a false gospel, then Paul would have gone all Galatians on them. Uh, the Galatians is a letter that he writes to the church in Galatia as they, as they sort of depart from the gospel because of false teachers. If you touch the gospel, Paul will arc up. But he looks at kind of the messiness of people and he is not personally offended. He is not personally worried. At one level, it looks like he's got no skin in the game. But he is heavily invested. It's just that he trusts Jesus more than all of his worries. He is playing that longer game where he sees the power of the word over worry. Proclamation over problems. Paul is able to see everything in you. I want you to see everything in you as you live for Jesus and as you long for home. And that kind of gets us closer to these central verses where we really see the heart of Paul. He says, um, you know, as he says, uh, as he says uh, Christ is proclaimed, in this I rejoice 
And as soon as he touches that kind of buzzword for him, he just kind of blows up. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. You can't stop me rejoicing because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, which by life, whether, whether by life or by death. Here is Paul holding everything together. He does really anticipate, hope for, has eager expectations around his deliverance. He's seen God do it before in the way that he sent an earthquake to open up the prison doors and the way that even those circumstances led to the salvation of many. But he also is not unaware that this time it could lead to death. He is in Roman prison, not a nice place. Whether by life or by death, he's like, let Christ be honored, be exalted. How do we hold all this together? Well, I'll tell you what, it's these nine words in verse 21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's start with the first bit, the last bit there. To die is gain. Really, Paul, that's pretty heavy and kind of dark. Is Christianity some kind of like, I don't know, death cult? It just speaks so highly of death being gain. No, he's not kind of glorifying death in and of itself. He talks about, you know, in the next chapter, that if Epaphroditus were to die, and he did come close to dying on the journey from Philippi to the prison, uh, he, he nearly died. And Paul said, I'm so glad that, that he didn't because God spared me from sorrow upon sorrow. He would have been grieved, so grieved by death. And yet, if he was to die... He would be at home with the Lord Jesus, which he says, which is better by far. There is nothing in this world, nothing that can compare to being at home with Jesus. For every time we're carrying some kind of frustration, some kind of sickness, some kind of longing, all of those threads come together in perfection when we see our Lord Jesus face to face, when we are embraced by him, when we enter that room that he is, he is making for us, as he promises in John 14. When everything is perfected, when, when we are perfectly reconciled with, with God, with others, and we get to enjoy the new creation for all eternity, where death and sickness and decay cannot touch it is altogether wonderful and glorious. And as Paul imagines that that possibility might be upon him, that he really might die and that he'd be welcomed with confidence to the, before the Lord Jesus, he says, it would be better by far to die. How much of our life would be freed from fear if we no longer fear death or sin or suffering or any kind of thing that, that seeks to harm us. But, there's always a but, isn't there? If I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. There is Paul saying as he, as he longs for home, 
As he, as he almost wants to die so that he could be with the Lord Jesus, he then looks at his kind of very earthly circumstances, uh, to the letter that he is penning, thinking about the people he loves dearly. And he says, as I think about these things, there is fruitful work to be done here. And for as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will breathe it out for the Lord Jesus and for your encouragement. It is more necessary for you, he says, that I stay here, even though he's torn between longing to depart to be with Jesus or to be here in the flesh. I am persuaded, he says, that I'll remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ may abound. What a wonderful way to live. There is no fear. There is nothing that can touch him. If he dies, so be it. He'll be with Jesus. If he lives, he'll live for Jesus and seek to encourage and minister to those around him. What would your life look like if you saw the world anew because of these nine words? If your life was so summed up in living for Jesus and longing for home? What if your work was not just a place to earn a paycheck, but a place to serve? What if your worries were actually a cause for release, for God's grace and goodness to flood in your life? What if even your cancer was a way for God to work through you and in you in profound ways? I had someone come up to me last week um, who, is, who has got cancer and says, Mike, look at the message that, that, that Philippians, that, that Jesus encouraged me to send to someone that I'm doing cancer treatment with how I could encourage them. Look at the way God is working in my life, she was basically saying. Will you look at everything anew? Last week I made mention to seasons in our life that have lost their spark of joy, that kind of 30-something bracket, and maybe even sort of beyond that. We've moved away from kind of that, that hungry youthfulness, wanting to know more about you know, doctrine and the Gospels and kind of get stuck into ministry. Somewhere sort of after that, maybe with kids, mortgage stress, you know, the, the work cycle, sometimes the spark just disappears. Friends, we have to find our way back to joining our every breath with the Lord Jesus the way to see all things anew is to live for Jesus and let your everything actually be a way for, for Jesus to work in you and through you. It's neither giving up and waiting for death, nor is it actually pouring yourself out trying to fix everything around you. It's rather this steady, non-anxious walk with Jesus as he works in us and through us to bless others. Let us see everything anew. We wouldn't even have this profound letter and encouragement if it wasn't for Paul's imprisonment. Think about that, right? How many of Paul's letters are written from prison? Well, there's, we know of a few, the Ephesians, Philemon, uh, Colossians. John writes Revelation from prison. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from in prison. I didn't know that until I did recent research. Bonhoeffer, uh, the German theologian, wrote much in, Berlin, in a Berlin prison. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote from Birmingham jail. In the dark moments of life, we see more clearly the light that we live by. And I wonder if part of our problem is we are just too damn comfortable. We do not see the light that we live by because darkness 
well, we, 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 kind of, we, we light the path before us with all the things that we love to do, all of our novelties, all the things we long for and hope for. And yet we see so clearly in Paul's life, as he sits in supposed darkness, there is a, a light in him that cannot be put out, cannot be quenched. And it's not just the light of his own heart. It is the light of the Lord Jesus. There is an end coming, an unstoppable climax to the story. It's not just Paul's predicament, whether he dies or lives. This ultimate, unstoppable climax is this, heaven. And Paul says in verse 27 that we are citizens of heaven. Now, the NIV talks about conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That language of conducting yourself is actually kind of like living out your citizenship. Paul says, live out your citizenship in heaven. That's how we see everything in you. Be reminded. Last week I said we are saints, even by the smallest, messiest amounts of faith. You are now saved by grace. You are sanctified. You are set apart. You are now a saint in God's kingdom. By the same token, you are a citizen in heaven. And so Paul is saying, live that out. He's not saying to us, kind of, uh, you know, like a guilt trip, kind of a, a put a burden upon us, you know. Damn it, just live kind of like, live more like you were citizens of heaven. He says, no, no, that you are citizens of heaven. Let that be lived out. We're running out of time, so I'm just, not, I'm just going to skip over some of these last bits. But uh, what Paul then brings them into, as he describes their citizenship in heaven, is a unity that they have in the Spirit, that they would contend together for the gospel. And I will continue to say, I love that in this church, we love to meet together around the Word, so that in times when we are feeling like we are flatlining, when we are feeling like uh, we are deeply frustrated, like God is absent, when we are feeling like uh, it, it is just it, all the worries of this world are getting a, sort of us down, that, that together we might be reminded, that we might partner in the gospel and be reminded of all that Jesus has done for us and is doing in us, that we might see everything anew and that even suffering might be used for Jesus' glory. Brothers and sisters, will we see everything anew as we live for him and as we long for home? Let me pray. Father, you have brought us into something extraordinarily glorious. As we are now citizens of heaven, Father, would you help us to see our place in this world? Would you bring us into a deeper purpose? Would you show us how our worries all flow into the goodness of your character, the goodness of the gospel? And that there is nothing that can stop the gospel from going out. So, Father, let us believe that. Help us to live that out, that we might shine your light into the darkness of this world, we pray. Amen.